to Real Talk. It's your host, Katie Brown, but today it's all about this man. He has gone and represented Australia for rugby league and also played as the West Tigers Foundation player, also tennis, and also a model, uh, Stefan Roshkut. Thank you for coming on. No worries at all, Katie. Thank you so much for having me today. I, I really appreciate it. and Can't wait for the chat that we're going to be having today. Can't wait to get into it. I feel like uh, our listeners are going to learn a lot more about you, which I hope they do. But first things first, we've got to do the pledge. Are you going to be real or fake with me today? I'm always real, never fake. Hand on heart. <laughs> Hand on heart, hope to die. Oh, thank you. Don't stick a needle in my eye. All right. And the other one. <laughs> it's always funny on these Zoom chats because there's a bit of a delay and I'm like, oh, maybe that wasn't a good joke. <laughs> Anyway, all right, one word. This is what you had to do for me. You had to think of one word to best describe yourself. Uh, I would definitely say that I'm real. There's, uh, I'm just playing black and white. Um, you just, yeah, you get, give what you get with me um, in terms of, you know, if, if you're real with me, I'm real with you. And um, yeah, there's no, I guess, hiding anything. I say it as it is. And, um, and I think that's just kind of with the way that I've been brought up, um, I guess, with my disability and, and my upbringing. Um, within my family as well. Wow. That just fits so perfect to Real Talk. I love it. I didn't have real for you because I actually don't know you that well, but I had role model. Yeah. I had role model because I don't know a lot about you, like I mentioned, but you've done so much in the sporting space and also away from the sporting space in the, the modeling space. Um, and I also think that you're very outspoken and confident in how you are educating uh, more and more people. And I think that's really important. And I think you do it in such a brilliant way where we can learn off you and also feel comfortable enough to learn off you too. Because I think that's a, a big thing is people feeling comfortable enough to talk about different topics in the world. Yeah, no, definitely. And thank you so much for that. I, I, um, you know, I think in a way it's, it's kind of, especially with my disability, um, having spina bifida, um, for not a lot of people that know about spina bifida, it's a, it's a birth defect to the spine. Um, it normally happens when the mother doesn't take too much folate during the pregnancy. So that's why doctors always encourage, uh, pregnant mothers to always have, um, you know, the folate tablets and, and everything like that, eat your greens, be healthy, that sort of thing. Um, and just unfortunately, mum was doing all those sorts of things and um, just, you know, unfortunate, like, like I was born like that. But, you know, it, in a way, it's been a blessing in disguise because I don't think that I would have achieved so much so far in my life um, if, I, if I didn't have my disability. And so um, I'm truly blessed for the journey that I've been on so far. Um, but yeah, I think that, you know, me doing so much in my community um it just comes down to the way that i've been brought up and i think as well being so humbled by my disability as well um has really made me become a, a real people's person um i'm really compassionate towards people around me um and also just really empathetic towards you know other people's feelings also love to see how people progress with their life as well um because you know one time ago, that was that was me. I was I was really down in the dumps. Um, went for a little bit of a, a mental patch, um, but you know, at the end of the day, there's there's always a light at the end of the tunnel. And so, basically, um, with a lot of blood, sweat, and tears, and, and a lot of hard effort as well, um, I managed to come through the the other end. And um, with a lot of persistence, I'm I'm now reaping the rewards, which is which is great to see. It so is. It's so great to see. I can't. Uh... 
I guess, uh, explain that enough, but we'll get to your on-court, on-field achievements soon. Just away from that, you just mentioned unfortunate. It was just unfortunate that your mum, you know, she did all the right things, but it was unfortunate Mm -hmm. that what happened. So spina bifida, but you were born with it. Um, Why did you say it's unfortunate? I think as a kid uh, growing up from, I guess, obviously from the age of five, to about 13, I was quite oblivious to my disability uh, for so long because my grandfather, he used to be a, a footballer, soccer player, and, and so did my dad. And uh, my whole family were all massive Manchester United fans. Oh um, and so um, I, I never miss a game. Uh, I, I love my Manchester United so much. And um, I'm a massive Tigers fan as well um, in the NRL. So um for me, I, I always idolised Cristiano Ronaldo um, when he was at Manchester United and I always idolised Benji um, when he was at the Tigers as well. And, and that 05 season, um, it, was, it was the best, um, seeing the boys win the premiership then. And, um, you know, I always had that dream um, to either play football or to play rugby league. And, um, you know, by the time that I got to about 13 years old, I, I started to really understand my disability a lot more. Um, I'm a part-time walker if you want to call it that. So um, I use my wheelchair for long distances um, and um, I can, I can walk short distances, but unfortunately um, I'm very blase with my, with my, um, my disability. So my my legs from my knee to my ankle are kind of like cricket stumps. So unfortunately there's not a lot of muscle buildup um, in there. Um, And I'm, I'm really sorry for anybody that is actually watching this, that, that kind of takes offense to that, but I'm, I'm very real and, and very comfortable with who I am as an individual and, and my disability. So um, in order for me to obviously get through these days, I, I try to resemble different things um, and to obviously, you know, um, make sure that people get an understanding of, of obviously where I come from when I'm, I'm describing myself. So um, I basically have legs like cricket stumps. And so um, that's when I started to really understand, you know, that obviously playing football or playing rugby league is it's kind of out, out of reach, basically. <laughs> and so um, that kind of, you know, put a little bit of a dampener on things. But I basically um, started playing wheelchair tennis um, from the age of 12. Um, and that kind of, you know, put a little bit of a, a distraction in front of me for, for me to understand that I can still play sport, but it's just not going to be the one that, you know, I'm, I was feeling like I was destined to play um, as an able-bodied person in another life. So, um, but no, that being said, I'm, I'm still grateful um, for, for the journey that I've been on um, and, and really grateful for the people that have come into my life in that journey as well. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So when you and I had an off-air chat and I said, well, I, first things first, like I'm always curious because I'll see you and an image shows that you're in a wheelchair. So naturally, I want to know how that happened, but I also want to make sure I ask in a way that's not seen as rude and be respectful of you. Does it annoy you that that question comes up? I mean, how lo- how often does it come up and does it annoy you? It doesn't really annoy me um, as much because I know that there are people within our society that, you know, live their lives without knowing of someone living with a disability. 
mm. whether that be someone within their friend groups or within their family. It's absolutely astounding the amount of people that actually live their lives without having someone of disability in those two key areas of their lives. And so um, I've done a little bit of research and, and come to know that within the population of 26 million living in Australia, there's at least 5 million of us living with some sort of physical or intellectual disability. And so that's absolutely astounding to know. Mm. Um, and the amount of people that still, you know, haven't had firsthand experience of, of someone living with a disability in their life. And so I think the more we have the conversation around disability and how we can be more inclusive within our, within our industries, whether that be on radio or whether that be on the sporting industry, whether that be that in the modeling industry as well, I feel that, you know, there's always the conversation to be had because definitely that's not only going to increase the, the revenue of the companies, but also as well to show that, you know, people with a disability have got a place to stay and to really prosper as an individual. Yeah, yeah, they do. Well, I thank you. And I, it, it makes me feel more comfortable and I know that we can have these conversations. So 12, that's when you picked up wheelchair tennis. Take us through the journey yes. of the highs and the lows through tennis and rugby league. I tell you what. Um, I was never that kid to, if I had a rugby league ball and if I had a tennis racket, either side, I would always be picking up that rugby league ball um, and trying to figure out ways in, in how to kick it. Um, even though I didn't have full functionality of, of my feet. Um, but once upon a time, uh, when I was 12, my parents um, took me um, to a come and try day. Um, and that was, um, in association with Wheelchair Sports New South Wales, who I'm still very much um, involved with, um, with their road shows and, and everything like that. And so they were holding a, a come and try day with um, the former world number two, Mick Connell, who I'm still very good friends with today. And basically um, that was out in Putney um, at the Royal Rehab Centre. And um, basically my parents took me there with, with my day chair. Um, so for anybody that doesn't really know um, the differences in wheelchairs, the day chair is your every single day use wheelchair. Um, and then obviously you've got your sports chair, which is designated for whatever sports you do, whether that be for track and field, wheelchair rugby league or for wheelchair tennis, you've always got a designated type of wheelchair to do for that exact sport. And so I didn't have a, a designated chair for that time. Um, and so I just kind of went with my day chair and um, after about an hour's session um, with Mick, um, he just kind of gently nudged my, my parents on the shoulder and, and said, this, this boy's got what it takes to, to really go far. And so basically, um, after two years of, of just training and everything like that, I found myself representing Australia um, in the juniors. Um, and yeah, I just, I... I was good at the sport, I would say, um, but I didn't really feel like it was the same sort of love that I had for rugby league or, or for football. Um, it was it was definitely a different desire that I had for the sport, but I definitely could tell that, you know, growing up as a kid, um, it was only keeping me in the sport because I was good at it. And I had some really good supportive people around me, such as my parents and, and my coach at the time as well, who went well above and beyond um, what it, what was expected of him as a coach to do for me. And so um, I'm very blessed to have had him in my life, in my, in my tennis career as well. In 2017, yeah. I was actually grateful to represent my country in two different sports in that same year. In May, I, I represented Australia in wheelchair tennis and we travelled to Sardinia in Italy. And then in, um, 
in, I think it was July, I actually got to represent Australia in France at the Wilshire Rugby League World Cup. So, so cool. it so was a cool. hectic year. Incredible. Okay, so from from the tennis career to the rugby league career, highlights in there. I know I mentioned West Tigers Foundation member, and that just suits perfectly because you're a West Tigers fan. But where did you take your yeah. rugby league? Um, so basically, I was at a bit of a, a cross paths with um, with rugby league and, um, and and tennis. So it was in 2015. Um, in the stages of, of 2015, brought on through to 2017, um, I was actually pretty close in going to the Paralympics in, in 2016. And unfortunately, um, when when children are born with spina bifida, they've they've got about an 80 to 85 percent chance that they've also uh, got hydrocephalus, which is excess brain fluid to the head. And so, um, I've actually got a machine in my head um, that actually kind of helps me keep alive as well. Wow! So your body naturally will drain about seven mils of brain fluid from your head down to your stomach and it will just go out as waste. Um, but unfortunately my body can't naturally do that. And so that's why I've got a machine um, that's in my head. So I don't know if you can see that scar just on the yeah. side of my head there. It's probably covered up by all of the, the hair that I've grown in, in lockdown so far. But, <laughs> um, yeah. So when I was born, doctors had to surgically open up my head um, basically two hours after I was born and, and basically put a, a machine into my head. Um, to help me keep alive um, and so um, if I didn't have that I, I definitely would have not lasted past 24 hours and so um, wow. fast forward to 2015 I was actually um, playing a tennis tournament um, in a final um, in Beaton Park in Wollongong and uh, I went for a backhand down the line and um, I felt a snap in my chest and I was like what the bloody hell have I done here like it almost felt like rib cartilage damage um, because I was short of breath. Uh, it was sharp pains in and around that area. And um, basically I had to call a medical timeout. Um, and then uh, unfortunately it was too painful to continue. And um, I also had to pull out of a double, doubles final that same day as well. And uh, went to go and get scanned the following day um, to realize that it actually snapped the tubing. Um, that was oh. actually in my chest um, and uh, excess brain fluid was actually pumping out, but it was creating a bubble over my pectoral muscle. And so oh every single gosh. time I went to go and press on it, um, it was actually causing like this throbbing headache inside my head because of all the pressure that was building up. And so that's when, unfortunately, I needed to have surgery um, and I unfortunately couldn't go to the Paralympics. Um, I was no longer in contention. Um, that so being fun. said, that is crazy. I... <laughs> yeah. Sorry. That... <laughs> first things first, you've got a machine in your head, and then you tell me that it, you've, you could have died. Wow. Oh my God. I feel well, like I mean... I'm in shock, but I, I'm glad you're still here to tell me this story. <laughs> No, thank you. But I mean, you know, the, the crazy part about it was, was the fact that I'd actually, yes, yeah, snapped the tubing in my chest, but I hadn't had any of the symptoms where I was, you know, vomiting violently or, you know, I was having massive headaches. And so after I'd actually snapped the tubing, my neurologist actually said to me, well, if you're having none of these symptoms, just go back to training. Um, because he really wanted me to have those serious, um, those serious symptoms in order for, for me to be operated on. 
And so for another two to three weeks, I was still doing high intensity training with my tennis coach because we still need to prepare for Paralympics um, at some stage. So I was, I was feeling fine. Um, But again, I've got a very high pain threshold um, as well. Yeah, I think. So, gosh. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I, you know, I, I look back on it and I just kind of think to myself, that was, that was, you know, a story, you know, that was, that was a part of my journey and I'm, I'm proud to own that as well. Um, but yeah, we, we then had surgery, um, basically, uh, March of, of 2016. And, um, from there, uh, I missed out on Paralympics, had to be stitched up in the, in the side of my head again, um, until the point where I got all better. And, um, basically from there, um, continued on with my tennis training but then I found rugby league in my life and um, the first ever game that I played um, was actually for the Parramatta Eels um, which I know that you're an NC for yeah Um, (laughs) and so basically um, no idea about the rules and and how it all went and everything like that and I remember the first try that I was going to score now I say going to score because it ended up being a complete fail um, I was on my own trial line defending and I've caught the intercept and I've gone the length of the field and I've looked it back at my teammates and I've said, where the bloody hell's the trial line? And they said, Stefan, you've just gone over the dead ball line. Oh, no! <laughs> oh, no! <laughs> For anybody so listening, they play... Because you don't play on a rugby league field as such. You play indoors. So no. just for some perspective for people listening. Yeah. And so basically we play over two basketball court lengths. So yes. it's probably about 60 metres. And I've just gone full pelt at the end of the field. And I'm looking to do my try celebration and everything. But I'm looking at the back of my teammates and I'm thinking, where's the try? Where's, where's the try line? And they're like, they're all shaking their head. And they're like, oh, my God. Only Stefan could do this. Um and yeah, I'm just going over the dead ball line. So um, <laughs> that was the the moment that, you know, funny enough, I, I knew that I'd found a home in, in rugby league and um, in some way or another, um, because, you know, obviously a kid that was growing up, you know, always wanted to play rugby league, um, has now found a different variation of the sport. And I think that is what makes it so wholesome is the fact that our game can basically have so many different variations yet be so close to the actual thing. Um, And I don't know if you've seen any YouTube videos or anything like that, but I would say our hits are pretty much almost on par with, with the the actual running game itself. Oh yeah. I'll back that. If you, if if people are listening and have not, please Google right now, Google wheelchair rugby league best hits. And I tell you what, I actually have done a couple of um, come and try days um, and when I was on the Gold Coast leading into Com Games, it, it wasn't wheelchair rugby league, but I went to wheelchair basketball, and that was similar. Like, yeah. it's very chaotic, yeah. very intense, very physical. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's really good fun, and I think that you know it's a bit like dodging cars. So, um, but yeah, you're almost I guess when you're playing wheelchair rugby league. I'm kind of almost strapped in like a psychotic patient. Like I've got my feet strapped, <laughs> I've got my knees strapped, and then I've got my, my waist strapped as well. Um, and so I remember one time, and I don't know if a lot of people would actually remember this scene, but it's from my fav- favourite movie, Longest Yard. 
um, when it got, when the guy gets hit and he's on the ground and he's like, you're all right. And he goes, I've got a bird. His name's Ronnie. And Adam Sandler oh, just looks back at him. And he's like, well, you tell Ronnie, you just got knocked the hell out. <laughs> like, I remember getting one of those types of hits playing with your rugby league. But like this guy who's almost like the size of Nelson Asafa Solomona in a wheelchair. Oh, that's scary. And I'm just like <laughs> sitting on the floor thinking, I've been hit by a freight train. Oh. Um, but yeah, look, I, I wouldn't want to have it any other way. Um, mm-hmm. because I know that it's a game that I've loved right from the get-go. And I want to be able to not only make a difference within wheelchair rugby league circles, but to be able to make a difference within the NRL circles as well mm-hmm. with this this game that we we all love as well. And, and to really close the gap of understanding that wheelchair rugby league is also a sport for able-bodied people as well. Um, yeah. We've got, you know, a father and son combination that just – featured in 2019 um, in in our test matches against England. Um, mm. You know, tell me another sport that, you know, gives people that opportunity to do so. Yeah. You know, I think it's it's so wholesome and, and so fulfilling that we are able to, to deliver a product like that um, to so many people that really want to have that opportunity to share with a family member or to share with a, a best friend. You know what I mean? So Absolutely. I think it's it's so amazing that, you know, rugby league gives us that opportunity to do that. So you get to play for West Tigers at the moment? Well, before, yeah, let's, so, let's talk pre-COVID, but yeah, West Tigers. Yeah. So, yeah, in um, the 2019 um, season and 29, uh, 2020 season, I, I played for the Tigers and, um, you know, both – games we came so close to, to winning, winning it all um, and just unfortunately we we lost to you know I'd say the best team um, that's been going around in wheelchair rugby league for, for quite some time now they're just they're, they're the Roger Federer they're the Tiger Woods of, of wheelchair rugby league they're the goats um, the St George Illawarra Dragons okay um, you know and um, just the guys that they've got on that team um, they they really they're almost like the what you would call the Melbourne storm in the NRL right. is what you would call these guys. They're very well structured. They, they listen to Craig Kinane, who is their, their captain um, as well. He's, he's been around in, in wheelchair sports for a very long time. So even when we get together as like a New South Wales squad or an Australian squad, when Craig listens, uh, when Craig talks, you, you listen um, yeah. because the amount of, of experience that he has is an absolute, mammoth compared to anybody else um, within our rugby league circles or wheelchair rugby league circles that we have. Super coach, super coach captain by the sounds of things. Um, Yeah, 100%. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Now I need to ask you rugby league world cup because that's been something that I've seen you're quite vocal about. I actually should grab my phone because um, your post really stood out to me and you were very open about the way you felt. Now, did you get selected for the squad to go over to the Rugby League World Cup? Yeah, so just a little bit of clarification around that. We yeah. were we had a squad, but we didn't have a final 10 um, that we were right. going to send over. That was going to be selected um, in and around this time, actually, um, for the final 10 to be selected to go over. And so um, that afternoon, uh, when the NRL or when the ARLC decided to pull the pin on on the Australian uh, team not going. Um, our 
um, representative um, was getting uniforms actually sorted out at about two o'clock that afternoon, mm. um, not absolutely knowing what was going on um, right. in terms of the ARLC pulling the pin. And, and I think around five o'clock that afternoon, that same afternoon is when the media broke out with the news. And I just kind of scratched my head a little bit thinking to myself, you know, that puts pie on our face not letting us know that, you know, here we are, you know, getting ready for a World Cup, getting uniforms sorted out and, and everything like that. Guys, you know, are not paid full time to be doing this. You know, we've got mm. to be able to sort out work commitments and, and everything like that. Some of the guys have got families as well. Um, yeah. You know, we were, I guess, told um, along the grapevine, you know, it might not be happening, this, that, but um, to be told through, I guess, the media um, and not really be told the, the full picture, I think is a little bit damning considering that, you know, I'm really being careful with what I say here because the NRL still does quite a lot for us. But in terms of, of them not, you know, letting us know um, wholeheartedly what was the situation going to be and everything like that, you know, for us, and, and I would imagine for a lot of people in different sports, you know, obviously representing your country is is the number one thing to do. Um, and to obviously let us know this sort of way um, was quite disheartening, um, you know, and I really feel that if we are to be at a really inclusive sport, we need to have, you know, our spot at the table as well um, to yeah. really be heard. Um, and I just don't feel that, you know, in the whole process that was really possible. Um, for whatever reason that was, I'm not quite too sure. And it's something that I'm not really comfortable in, in speaking about just in case I say the wrong thing. Um, but I just kind That's of, okay. from my own view of what I saw, I just don't feel that we were heard enough um, and to be really recognised for the fact that, you know, along with the Jillaroos, along with the Kangaroos, the Wheelaroos is a brand as well that we're building. Um, and I just don't feel we were heard enough. Do you have a seat at the Rugby League Players Association? No. Um, That's but we have a representative. We have a representative that um, we have that um, communicates with the NRL. Um, and, but no one um, in the RLPA. You know, no. And I think yeah. that's something that we can definitely have a discussion about, whoever that may be, um, because I feel that, you know, again, we don't have contracts or, or anything like that. So I don't feel like there is a necessity. But I think when it comes to, you know, World Cups and state of origins and all the sort, when we're trying to deliver a product, which at the end of the day would look good on the NRL, because then it shows that they're being inclusive. You yeah. know, I just don't think that, you know, we're being heard. And I would love to have someone of the sort, whether it's a coach or whether it's a player on the RLPA, I'm not quite too sure, but I would definitely love to have someone just so that there's a little bit more transparency in, in what we can do to assist the NRL yeah. um, as well in terms of, you know, people being heard from a disability point of view. Absolutely. Um, and if you haven't gone on Stefan Roshkut's Instagram, you can go. That's just his name spelled out. You just you spoke really well in the post. It made a lot of sense. You were very strong with your words, but also very respectful. And as well, you just said as well. So we don't need to um, 
to stay on the rugby league world cup probably any longer i think a lot of the mm -hmm. the women and the male players in the jillaroos and um um and the kangaroos feel the same way as the wheelaroos <laughs> i think you all as yeah. players feel a little bit disheartened about that um before we do wrap things up i need to ask you about your modeling career because like i mentioned at the top you've done everything there is to do on the footy field or i should say footy court and, and the tennis court and now you're doing things away from it as well yeah so it's a little bit of a, a side thing that you know away from sport um i can really show another side of me basically um yeah. you know and I, i've always been passionate about you know when i was was growing up and you know watching like say for example a louis vuitton fashion runway or a gucci fashion runway i thought to myself there's not a lot of representation of just your everyday sort of people mm. and so i've never really seen someone of disability um truly representing like a high-end fashion brand or or just yeah. any brand in general um but only starting to slowly see it through you know things like kmart or through target which i'm so grateful for but you know growing up i wasn't always comfortable with the skin that i was in you know, I went through a lot of mental demons in terms of body image, um, you know, and so um, a long story short, I decided to to make something of myself to not only show myself what I can be, but also as well to show other people that might be going through the same issues that I had been going through um, mm. in my teenage years. And so um, it was basically around 2017, 2018, where I just decided to pick up the phone, started calling up modeling agencies and, and really think, you know, I had to really pitch myself to yeah. say, you know, there's so many people living with a disability that have got these issues. Take me on. Yeah. Like, because at the end of the day, it's really disheartening in the fact that parents are going to keep on having children born with disabilities. There's mm. going to be unfortunate times when people are going to be involved in car accidents or motorbike accidents and they're going to end up having a disability. So it's not something that's going to be shying away anytime soon. We need to learn to embrace it in all industries. And so I just kind of thought, if I can at least start something for myself, then I'm hoping that other people can start it for themselves as well and really take the stand metaphorically in showing that, yes, I have a disability, but that shouldn't define me as to who I am as a person and what I can offer to other people. Sure. And so... I, I really would love to see one day, you know, it may not happen in my lifetime, but eventually we will get there. But a Louis Vuitton wheelchair. Yeah. Like, I know that high-end fashion brands come up with, like, these really stupid things mm. for their fashion runways. But to really mainstream disabilities in that sort of way, you know, and to really show that, you know, disabilities can be sexy, they can be attractive. You know, a lot of people wouldn't associate disabilities with those two words that I just said, because when we see someone, we always look at the appearance first. We don't really take in the other attributes because they haven't really spoken yet. And so I really think to myself, if we can merge those types of things with fashion, I think that's when a lot more of the majority of people can really learn to accept disabilities in that sort of way also. And I really hate the fact that it may come down to that because 
we should always be judging an individual for who they are and what they can do as a, as a person as well. But I just kind of feel that if we can learn to do things like that, I think the world would be closing the gap of understanding of what people with a disability can really do. Mm. Yeah, you, you say it so well. And it makes so much sense. Someone said something to me the other day. Um, when you grow up and what you're around is comfortable, right? You, you, um, you see the same things, you're comfortable with life. But then when you move away and see something that you haven't noticed before, you're not comfortable, which ultimately you then naturally think it's wrong, but it's not wrong at all. It's just because you're not comfortable seeing it. And so if you're not putting people with disabilities on billboards, if you're not putting people um, from multicultural backgrounds on billboards or women on billboards, you don't think it's normal. So you make such a great point, change that, make a point of putting people with disabilities on th- uh, advertisement, marketing, because at the end of the day, you said there's 26 million people in Australia and at least 5 million of us have a intellectual or physical disability. We need to make each other feel more comfortable. <laughs> exactly. And, and that's the thing, you know, I, I strongly believe that if we, you know, take the effort to see someone out on the street, I mean, you know, currently here in Sydney, we're in lockdown, but, you know, once we're out of this whole mess, if we see someone out on the street with a disability, talk to them. Mm. Hey, how are you? You know, that sort of thing. You know, it doesn't take too much. Like it doesn't cost anything. <laughs> There's no financial thing to it. No financial attachment, nothing towards it. Hey, how are you? Because mm. I can guarantee you that person that is living with a disability that you strike up the conversation with, they would be more than happy to talk to you. And I think that's the strong thing that we really need to encourage the wider community to do. The respect and kindness is free. So we shall remember that for sure. Uh, you, you did, um, you starred for Tommy Hilfiger. I can't, I can't move on from the model. <laughs> I just think, I, I think, it, I honestly, I think it's so powerful. I really do. Um, yeah, I just think when I saw it, I'm going, you make, you make somebody else's dreams feel true. You know? Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm, I'm extremely blessed and, and grateful um, that the Iconic uh, managed to, to bring me on board for, for their edit that they did with, with Tommy Hilfiger. And um, I'm hoping that many more good things come out of it um, for fashion and, and for people living with a disability. But, you know, I think that it's, it's a start. You yeah. know, we've, we've planted the seed now. And so now we just need to really, you know, nurture that tree in order to really make it prosper, um, you know, along the way, you know, we might need to put in a little bit more effort, you know, in terms of, you know, reaching out to people with disabilities to, to strongly, you know, be a part of, you know, this big picture that we're trying to build in terms yeah. of getting more people with a disability into fashion. Because like I said, I was a person that was having major issues with who I was physically as a person. Um, and so I just kind of feel that if we really, Put that out there more often you know i think that more and more people with a disability will be comfortable with the way that they're living in and so i really strongly urge if if anybody you know is watching this has you know a, a fashion label that they're wanting to start up really strongly consider if you would like to have someone with a disability because honestly if they do the sky's the limit for me 
And they'll be so much more inclusive than so many other brands that decide to shun away people with disabilities. You've got the the mental stamina now. You're you're mentally fit and healthy to look at um, that situation with clear eyes. But how bad did it get for you when you were trying to be happy with your with yourself? I was in yeah. I, and look, looking back on it now, I think that I, I just coped with it because it was just who I was. Um, and I'd been okay with that for so long. But I guess, you know, being really heavy um, for a split second here, you know, I was one step or one push away from really ending my life in front of a freight train. You know, it was really my best friend at the time that that really held me. And he said, mate, you're not going anywhere. You know, yeah. you're, you're staying with me. And, um, you know, it was also my tennis coach as well that, you know, really started to do mental exercises with me every single day. And I now do that with my partner every single day where we say two things that we're grateful for every single mm-hmm. day and one thing that we found challenging throughout our day. Um, it can be as simple as, you know, I'm, I'm grateful for clean running water, you know, um, because back from where my parents are from uh, in Mauritius, sometimes that can be really hard um, to get by with. You know, yeah. yes, they're an island country, but, you know, sometimes it's really hard to get access to that. And so um, another thing that I could be grateful for is the fact that I've got a wheelchair um, because it's my way of mobility to get around places just like you know you've got your two legs to to walk around and and everything like that Um, and that's another thing that I had to really come to terms with is my wheelchair not being a sign of disability but being a sign of mobility um, to really change the script for me um, in order for me to to mentally feel better and another thing that I could say that I found challenging throughout my day was you know probably pressing the the snooze button five times and then I only had like two and a half minutes to get ready for work or something I'm not too sure but um yeah it's those small little things like that and you know for any athletes that are that are you know potentially watching this or anybody that knows anything about psychology but you know if you continually do something for 21 days consistently you start to see change and you start to see more repetition throughout your day and so my tennis coach and I we did that for a good two years every single day we never missed a day where we either called each other on the phone we texted each other even be on new year's day christmas day we never missed a day he could be in another country um and we always made sure that even with time zones we never missed a day and um i'm really grateful for him in the fact that he exposed me to that sort of thing um because it again it started my journey on on getting better and and really being able to be comfortable with myself and, and then or, and just basically being able to spread that to other people. What was your best friend's name? Uh, my best friend's name's Tyrone. Tyrone. And your coach's name again? Uh, Vernon. Vernon. Vernon Chung. Tyrone and Vernon. Thank you very yeah. much because we still have you today, Stefan. And it's, yeah, it's been such a great chat. Um, I definitely yeah. think that you've changed the lives and, you're not even halfway through your life yet. You've got plenty more time to stick around and make change and we'll, we'll be there supporting you along the way. No, thank you so much, Katie. And, and thank you for creating this beautiful platform as well for, for so many people to, 
to really spread their their light on on their story and, and being able to help so many other different people as well. So thank you. Team, if you enjoyed that one, like and subscribe for me. And don't forget, we're here for a real time, not a long time. Thank you.